let me pray as we turn to God's word. We've been thinking about your name all evening, almighty God, and we want to pray very simply that your name would be hallowed among us, that as we listen to your word, as we come to understand uh, who you are and your passions a bit better and a bit more deeply, that you might speak to us uh, and that you might change our hearts so that we might set apart Christ as holy in our hearts and we pray it in Jesus name Amen I'm going to read then uh, from Ezekiel 36 starting at verse 16 the word of the Lord came to me son of man when the house of Israel lived in their own land they defiled it by their ways and their deeds their ways before me were like the uncleanness of a woman in her menstrual impurity so I poured out my wrath upon them For the blood that they had shed in the land, for the idols with which they had defiled it, I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed through the countries. In accordance with their ways and their deeds, I judged them. But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name, in that people said of them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they had to go out of his land." But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, And a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And then you might turn back to Exodus chapter 20, where we've been for the last few Sunday evenings, and just the one verse from there, Exodus chapter 20. And I'll read verse 7. God said to his saved people, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Please, let's have a hold that open. And there's an outline on the back of the notice sheet we're going to follow through. Um, I'm sure we all know that names are very important to us. Have you ever done this? You look down at a bit of paper, a piece of A4 or something, and your name's written on it. And like a laser, you can find your name uh, the second you look at it. Or if you're in a conversation and then someone else in the room says your name, you're not talking to them at the time, your ears immediately prick up. It's hard to concentrate on the person you're talking to and you wonder, what is it that they are saying 
about me. If someone misspells your name, that happens to me all the time. Clark always has an E on the end. Uh, Please never misspell it again. If someone forgets our name, that can be a bit vexing for us. But if someone maligns your name, if they go out of their way to say bad things about you, especially to third parties, we know it can cause real and lasting offense. Names matter. Um, Always raises a smile, therefore, when you come across someone with a silly name. Um, Most of the lists of silly names online are too rude to repeat, but I I found one eventually that I could quote from. All these are are verified. Any idea what Mr. and Mrs. Dwyer called their daughter? Barb. Let's say Barb Dwyer. Mr. and Mrs. Oakey? Carrie, believe it or not. Mr. and Mrs. Shorts, this must be in America. Jim, uh, Jim, and one more, Mr. and Mrs. Gator. Genuinely, genuinely went for Ali. Isn't that terrible? Names are important to us. Um, That was all entirely trivial. You don't have to remember that. You won't be tested on any of that at any point. This third commandment, though, tells us that God's name matters to him every bit as much. He says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You shall not, in other translations, misuse God's name. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. I wonder if that little warning at the end is a surprise to us. The Lord will not hold them guiltless who takes his name. Only two of these commandments come with some sort of warning attached to them. And we might think this one isn't a big deal, but God's name is holy. In a real sense, it's who God is, and therefore our use of God's name will be a direct reflection of our response, our attitude to God himself, and it really, really matters. I've gone for three points this evening. First, God's name is revealed. God's name is Revealed. And um, one thing we all have in common, unless you're the person who has changed their name, is that we were all given our name by someone else, usually our parents, I guess. Throughout history, the giving of a name has been an expression of some sort of authority, some sort of ownership. So um, I've been told we have to mention Billy Guy in every single sermon in the Free Church now. Uh, Maddie mentioned that to me uh, recently. When Matty and Jodie, this is the customary reference, therefore, when they had their baby, uh, they got to choose Billy's name. No one else did because Billy is their son. Or again, when you start your company and you're going to make your billions, you will get to name it. Historically, after a battle, the conqueror could rename the people that he'd defeated. Do you know, by contrast, God names himself. He has to, because there can be no one higher, no one greater, no one above God. And by nature, God is unsearchable to us. He is so great that we cannot work him out by ourselves through our own reasoning. His greatness is unsearchable, the psalmist says. We can never understand God fully. But nevertheless, in in grace, God has chosen to reveal himself to us in such a way that we can know him truly. You know that when we meet someone new today, one of the first things that happens in a conversation is that we tell them our name. And revealing your name like that is something of an invitation. If you 
bump into someone on the street and you're a bit wary of them and they ask your name. You're not going to tell them your name because you have no desire for a relationship with them. When God revealed his name to Israel, he was inviting them to know him. He was saying, out of all of the nations of the world, I want you to know me as I really am. And uh, lots of names have meanings that may or may not oops, tell you something about the person. My name, Paul, means little, um, apparently. Matty, I looked it up, means mighty in battle. There you go. Uh, Scott means the man with a shield. Hillary means cheerful, which is probably the only one of those that is accurate. God's name, though, tells us exactly who he is. Flick on to chapter 33 of Exodus with me, will you please? Uh, Page 74. Page 74, Exodus chapter 33. Verse 18 records the famous time when Moses asked God to show him his glory. And in reply, at the end of Exodus 33 there, God says, You can't see my face, but I will make all of my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. So Moses hides in the cleft of a rock. And then in verse 5 of chapter 34, bottom left of page 74 there, we read, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. But he will by no means clear the guilty. So that's God's name. That's the expression of who God is. And it's what we're meant to think anytime we see God's name, the Lord, all in capitals. This is what God is truly like. There are some people in the world we know who are heartless and ungracious and loveless and fickle and unforgiving. But when we see the Lord's name, we know that he's like a a personal thesaurus of love and grace. He abounds in everything that is good. He overflows in his desire to forgive and to bless. He's always constant and faithful in his love. But in this bit would be key. That doesn't mean you can trifle with him. If we, if we turn from him, if we reject his love... Well, God's justice demands that the guilty cannot be left unpunished. But this is who God is, gloriously good and perfectly just. And in revealing that about himself to us, the one true God is inviting us to know him, inviting us to enjoy his never-ending supply of grace and love. If we receive it as it comes to us in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are just checking out the the Christian faith among us this evening. I hope you know this uh, is the heart of it all, that God is good and he wants you to know him and he wants you to receive his love. And he sent his son to deal with the problem of our rebellion against him so that God and we could be friends again, restored to right relationship together. 
But for all of us, there's such a, a tight link between God and his name. Um, so the, the Bible will say that God's name is great and awesome and holy. Those are things that are normally said of God himself, but God's name is awesome, it says. The psalmist tells us to ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due to his name. We're told to sing, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, as we did a bit earlier. Famously, the Israelites had such reverence for God's name that they tried to avoid ever saying it out loud, lest even inadvertently they misuse it. If you I'm told if a scribe had to write God's name, he'd never write it out in full. And before he did, he would first wash himself and he'd only ever write it with a new quill and then he'd throw it away again immediately afterwards. Because God's name is that important. So if you praise God's name, you're praising him. And if you're despising God's name, you are despising him makes it incredible that when you get to the New Testament, something amazing happens. Because even though the, the name of the Lord is that untouchable, even though it's, it's synonymous with God himself, when we get to the New Testament, we find that Jesus himself and the other writers of the New Testament have no qualms at all about taking verses from the Old Testament that are clearly about Yahweh, the Lord, and applying them to that son of a carpenter from Nazareth. So I put on the sheet one example, Joel 2.32 reads, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then in Acts 2, Peter quotes from Joel 2 to say that it's everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus who will be saved. And then Acts 4 will say salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. Paul confirms that Jesus has been given the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every uh, knee should bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we reach the, the mystery of the Trinity, because there's only one Lord, but he exists in three persons, Father, Son, and spirit. That's why when Jesus sent out his followers to go and make disciples of all nations, he said that we should baptize them in the name, singular, of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is who God is, Father, Son, and Spirit. He's, he chooses to reveal this about himself to us because he wants us to know him. He wants us to respond to him rightly, to give his name the glory, give him the glory that he deserves. The sad story of the Old Testament, you will probably know, is that instead of honoring the Lord's name, the people of Israel just make a habit of misusing it. Or as Ezekiel called it in that little passage I read, they profaned it. And that's our second point tonight. God's name is profaned. And when you think about it, it was one of the great privileges that God gave to his people, Israel, was the right to be called by his own name. A bit like we're called Christians, Christians. We get to bear the name of the Lord Jesus if we've trusted in him. But that privilege brings with it a responsibility to bear God's name well, not to misuse it. 
Here's a couple of ways we can fall short of that. We'll start with our words and then think about our behavior. The, the first, I put vows and blasphemy on the sheet. This first one is a slightly technical one to do with oaths and vows that um, sometimes people took in the Old Testament. Maybe they would say to God something like, if you give me victory in the battle, then I will sacrifice a burnt offering to you. And there was a legitimate place for that kind of vow in the Old Testament. But there were times when it was dodgy. If, for example, you promised that you would do something that was sinful, this is a guy called Jephthah in Judges 11. He vowed to the Lord, if you let me beat the Ammonites, then whatever walks out of my house when I return, that I will sacrifice to you. Lo and behold, who walks out of his door? But his daughter, and because he's proud, he doesn't stop there and say, well, God hates human sacrifice, so I will repent of my sinful vow. Instead, he follows through it. That will be an example of someone taking God's name in vain. Or again, if you... Make a vow that you don't intend to keep. Lord, if you make this boy, this girl like me, then I will become a missionary. That's not a great way to use the Lord's name either. The Pharisees did something similar in the New Testament. They invented a whole system of rules. Um, and if you swore by the temple, you could break your oath. But if you swore by the gold in the temple, they told everyone, well, that was a, a vow you had to keep. It was the equivalent of crossing your fingers behind your back. And Jesus just said, well, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Just tell the truth and be known for that. Oaths and vows might sound niche. It was important. It brings us to the other way that the Lord's name was misused in speech. And it's one with which we'll all be much more familiar instantly. And that is blasphemy. Uh, now, I lead a, a pretty sheltered life. As a rule, I try to be careful about what I watch, what I read. But I reckon if I'm out in town, have you found this? I don't think, if you're sitting in a coffee shop or something, I don't think an hour goes by when I don't hear someone take the name of God or of Jesus and use it like it's just a punctuation mark or as an alternative word for feces. It happens so much that I think we're anesthetized to it largely. But I want to suggest it's no less offensive to God for that. I even hear Christians doing it sometimes, which makes me feel slightly nauseous. Um, I haven't seen this personally, but I'm told that a recent edition of the concise um, Oxford English Dictionary had this entry for Jesus. Colloquial interjection expression of surprise, dismay, etc. And then in, bra in brackets, also the founder of the Christian religion. But that is pretty much where we're at as a culture, isn't it? If you use the name Muhammad in the way that Jesus' name is used in everyday speech on the TV all the time, you would be vilified. Uh, I suspect you'd be arrested for hate speech you would possibly even be attacked. If you think I sound like a, an old man when I rant about this sort of stuff, I want to say it, it's a sign of how far we have fallen as a culture, that we've evacuated the name of the living God of worth to the point that we're happy for it to be bandied around like an expletive. Sometimes we have debates about whether we're still a Christian country. If there is any correlation between the way we speak 
of God and our beliefs. We must be one of the least Christian countries on the planet. But lest we think that this third commandment is just an excuse to throw moral bricks at society, I want to register that, biblically speaking, the people who are denounced most strongly for misusing, for demeaning, for profaning the name of the Lord are not the nations of the world. It's Israel who uniquely bears the Lord's name. And so it is Israel who are uniquely accountable for bringing disgrace upon God's name. And they do it in the way that they live. Um, if you wanted to flick back to Ezekiel 36, you could. I'm just going to reference it for a couple of moments. It's a passage in which God is talking as we saw. It's quite hard to flick to the right page in the Bible and talk at the same time. I find we are on page 724 if you want to be back there. Um, talking about the way that God's people behaved uh, the behavior that led up to the exile and then the way that they behaved in exile. And notice how it's all expressed in terms of God's name. So in verse 20, God says, When they came to the nations wherever they came, they profaned my holy name. In that the people said of them, These are the people of the Lord, and yet they had to go out of his land. But, says God, I had concern for my holy name which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations. The, the, the purpose of God had been that the people of Israel would bear his name and live life in such a way that the rest of the nations of the world would see their godly behavior, their blessed life, and say, what a great God they have. We want to know their God too. But instead what the nation saw was Israel dragging God's name through the mud. And any time we say or do anything that misrepresents God to the world, anything we do that gives God a bad name, or if ever, as I was thinking about application, if ever there's a gap between what we say we believe and how we behave then I wonder if we too are guilty of misusing God's name. We may not blaspheme, I hope we don't. But do our words, do our deeds ever fall short of giving to God the glory, the honor that his name deserves? I know mine do. Whether we like it or not, people watch how we live. They form an opinion about God in the light of the way that they see us behave. It's awful. If someone ever says to you, you do that, but, and you call yourself a Christian. There's a real breadth, then, to the application of this third commandment. Every believer bears the name of the Lord Jesus. The church bears God's name. The question is, do we bear it well? If you think about the grandest scale, it's not hard to think of major scandals in the history of the church, the Crusades, and apparently Bible-believing Christians in South Africa who said that apartheid was part of God's will, Christians who used the Bible to try and justify slavery. There's no doubt that those scandals and others like them have done great uh, reputation, damage, I should say, to the reputation of God and his church. But we need to be looking closer to home too. 
Every time I'm ungracious to a neighbour, every time we pass on a piece of malicious gossip, if we're less than fully honest, if we drink too much, if we're crude in our humour, if we're impatient and angry sinfully, if we step over the line sexually, if we covet, we're misrepresenting God to the world. And we're giving people the chance to say, well, you see, you, you Christians, you, really, when it gets down to it, you're no different to anyone else. Thankfully, though, our sin is never the end of God's story. And so our third point is much more positive. God's name will be hallowed. I want to mention briefly God's plan and our prayer. God's plan was set out there back in Ezekiel 36. If you're still there, let me read from verse 22. Therefore, God says, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord, it's not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned among them. And all the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. He goes on, I'll sprinkle clean water on you, you shall be clean. From all your idols I'll cleanse you, I'll give you a new heart, a new spirit I'll put within you. I'll cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So you track the steps through. They were supposed to bring glory to God's name. They profaned God's name. And this is God's solution. God has a, a plan to magnify the greatness of his name again in the world. And that plan is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It just flips on its head some of what we tend to think about the gospel. God is saying his primary purpose in sending his son into the world to cleanse us from our sin, to give us new birth, to put his Holy Spirit within us was so that God's own name might again get the honor that it deserves. So of course God sent Jesus to die because he loves us. But even greater than his concern for us and our salvation is this concern for the honor of his own name. He sent Jesus ultimately so that he would be praised as the gracious and faithful God that he is. And that's why Jesus taught his disciples to pray as we did tonight. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Every time we pray that prayer, we're asking God to act in accordance with the plan he announced in Ezekiel 36. We're praying, Father, would you, you help some people to recognize you as the holy God that you are for the very first time? In other words, please, Lord, open people's eyes to see who you are. Save them. And we're praying for ourselves as well. Help us not to misuse your name, but to bear it well. We're praying that God would help us in our speech, in our behavior, to be a means by which his name is praised rather than profaned. It's a prayer that God loves to answer. Psalmist said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. 
He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It's a promise we can stand on. Any shepherd leads his flock in the right path. The Lord Jesus is the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep and now promises to lead us, to empower us to walk in ways that will bring glory to his own name. By nature, um, even in Christ, I don't think that the name, the, the reputation of God, Father, Son and Spirit matters to us anywhere near as much as they should. People say horrible things about God or Jesus can sometimes wash off us. If the same things were said about us, we'd be indignant. I think that's often because our name matters to us more than God's. I'm sure we've all been careless in our use of God's name at some point in the past. I'm ashamed of the ease and ferocity with which I used to blaspheme before I became a Christian. When we think about how we still live, it only gets worse. But God's purposes are bigger than our sin. And so through Christ and his death, if we've trusted in him, God first saved us for the glory of his own name. And now he leads us in paths of righteousness, again for his own name's sake. Just as we wrap up, living for Jesus in this world, being distinctive in this area of speech isn't easy, is it? But we shouldn't forget the size of our privilege. Uh, Peter said, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. It is a wonderful privilege to bear the name of Jesus Christ. There's a cost that goes with it. Jesus said, you will be hated for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. He spoke of the reward we will enjoy when he said, everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my name's sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit, inherit eternal life. So here's a summary to take home, maybe to think about and pray about through the course of the week. Our Lord Jesus has been given the name that is above every name. One day every knee will bow before him and every tongue will confess that he's Lord. Until then, we need to hold fast to his name and to pray that God will help us to bring it honor as we should. And in the meantime, we can rejoice that our names, if we've trusted in Jesus, are written in heaven, in the book of life. And because of Jesus, they'll never be erased. Let's pray together. Our Father, we're sorry that we don't care about your name, your reputation as much as we should. We're embarrassed to think that we care about our own far more sometimes. We recognize that your church has played its own part, as Israel did in the Old Testament, in bringing disgrace upon your name. And the wider visible church continues to do so. And we're so sorry for that, and we're so grateful that our sin and the failings of those who take your name is never the end of the story. 
but that there is a day coming when the Lord Jesus will get all of the glory that he deserves as every knee bows before him and every tongue confesses that he is Lord. We long for the day where your name is honoured and hallowed as it should be. We pray that you would do that now, saving people, strengthening us to live to please you, and that you might keep us honouring you all of our days until we meet the Lord Jesus. And we pray it for his name's sake.